Thank you, Ian. In a few minutes, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, and perhaps there's no better Sunday than for us to talk about the topic of fasting. We've uh, been going through our series in recent weeks uh, titled, Believe It or Not, and today we come to the theme, uh, Believe It or Not, that missing a meal can actually fill you up, and how uh, that may sound on the surface a little contradictory, but I don't know about you, but if you're like me, um, when you think about fasting, it often is a bit of a distant concept. It's uh, sort of a foreign idea to you uh, because our culture, we live in a day when uh, so much is popularized, what what seems to be uh, the, the most positive virtue elevated in our culture is that any sort of human longing or uh, appetite should be filled. And it ought to be filled. And anything that is not filled... Uh, often with an immediacy, is um, we think that we're lacking or we're missing out. Um, and in fact, there's a whole expression now called FOBO. You've heard of this, fear of, uh, FOMO, I guess, fear of missing out. It's, it's uh, such an interesting uh, concept uh, socially for us uh, today. But the idea that every longing and every appetite must be filled and filled and must be filled instantly. When we open the scripture, we uh, you might find something uh, about... Fasting that uh, might be a little surprising to you because uh, fasting is throughout the Scripture. And there are a lot of people mentioned in the Bible that that participate and practice in fasting. Uh, People like Moses, like David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, and the Apostle Paul. All people who practiced fasting and were recorded in the Scriptures, people who fasted. And then throughout church history, there have been seasons of the church where fasting was was honored and celebrated more than it is perhaps today. Uh, People like Martin Luther was a faster. John Calvin, the Scottish reformer John Knox, Charles Wesley, even American uh, folks like Jonathan Edwards or David Brainerd. Or Charles Finney. He's probably my favorite picture, Charles Finney. I don't know about you, but if fasting leads to wild eyes and wild hair like that, uh, I may want to reconsider my topic this morning, but uh, that's the outward thing. Fasting is about the inward reality of our lives. And that's what I want to talk with you about. Open your Bibles, would you, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus, we counter him. Jesus is one who both practiced fasting and taught fasting. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, we see Jesus right at the beginning of his public ministry. He was baptized and he immediately, the Bible says, is led out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. And during that time, he fasted. And he was one who practiced it. He taught about fasting. And when we find here in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, and if anybody ever asks you, well, what, what is it that Jesus taught? You know, sometimes people can ask you questions in your life and you can feel a little flat-footed or not quite ready to respond. Well, hey, here's, here's a good tip. Want a good tip this morning? Somebody says, what did Jesus teach? You don't have to start going through all the lists in your mind. You can just turn to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and offer that to them as really the heart and the core of the message of Jesus for your life in the world. And here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he is walking through some things that really give shape to our inner lives. That which uh, Jesus would say in other places, we have to pay attention to the inner reality of our life. Because if we're only focused on the outward things, we're going to end in ruin. 
He would say things like, out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. The things that come out of you are indelibly rooted in the things that you have allowed to take root in your life. The things that have given shape to your life will always find their way out, good or bad. Jesus would say, you can tell a tree by the color of its bark. No. You can tell a tree by the leaves that it has. Not exactly. You can tell a tree by the fruit that it produces. And that is always the heart of Jesus' message. And when we come to these few little verses about fasting, they come right on the heels. Jesus has been talking about some important factors in our spiritual development. He's been talking about generosity and the importance of sharing and giving. Right? We would all say that that is a very critical and important part of how God shapes my life is learning to let go of the worry of finances and being able to take that and to share with God's church and with those in need and so that God through me, through us, can meet the needs of others. That's part of why we do things like feeding those who feed us. I don't think anybody would would fuss about that or even argue the point that generosity and being giving is an important factor in the development of my spiritual life. And then he turns to prayer. Would you doubt that prayer or deny that prayer is an important factor in developing your spiritual life and in bringing you close to God? I don't think we would get any argument about how important that is. And then he comes right into fasting as if he would consider fasting similarly important in our lives and developing our spiritual life. Yet it's one of those practices that in our, our modern church is, is left sort of uh, confusingly on the sideline or not really emphasized uh, very well. And I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking about it today. He, out of all three of these, giving and prayer and fasting, Jesus is giving some cautions because he says the, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they would spend a lot of time trying to impress everybody around them with their goodness. And so they, they were focused on impressing the people rather than really taking all of these practices and letting them come out of their life as a devotion to God and really doing them for an audience of one, not the group. In fact, the Pharisees, when they would practice fasting, they, in the day of Jesus, they would pick... Now, fasting on Mondays and Thursdays would be their two days of the week that they would really emphasize fasting. And you know why? It's because those were the two main market days. So they could go into the public square and that's where the largest crowds would be. So they could, they could look the part. They could look the part. When I was in France, I learned that they have a great expression. And it's this, that clothes, the clothes you wear, do not make the monk. So we can do a lot of work in dressing up the outside, but never let God really dress the inside of our lives. Fasting is one of the great gifts of God. One of the great practices that He invites us into so that we can uh, allow Him to do the work in us. In Matthew chapter 5, in the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he, he, this really frames the whole idea of understanding the Sermon on the Mount. Because he says the Pharisees are going to do a lot of stuff. But he says you who want to pay attention to the the deeper things, the heart issue, your righteousness must go beyond that of the Pharisees. Not that you're doing better things, but that you're putting yourself regularly in position so that God can do the work in you that he wants to do. Fasting is one of the ways that God has given to you and to me. 
to allow him to work in us. So two quick ideas of what fasting is for and how how it works. Number one, the purpose of fasting is that it reveals it reveals. Number two is it recenters. I want to spend a little minute on each of these. It reveals the inner part of our life. Perhaps more than anything else, any other practice that God has given us, any other discipline that God has given us, there may be no other or better thing that helps reveal the things in us that control us. Here's what happens. When you begin to fast, and you, you take up fasting as a, a regular practice, maybe weekly or whatever the whatever the process might be for you, it, it allows you in the moment of fasting, uh, as you're, you're entering a, a regular meal time, your body's been trained, you need a meal because it's a certain hour of the day, and, and that's the way you've always done it, you begin to grumble, and all of a sudden you begin to sense, well, there's anger because you want some food, and you're like, where's that anger coming from? Or all of a sudden you, you begin to pray in the midst of fasting, and you realize, there's a lot of bitterness in me, or, or I want what this person has, and I didn't realize there was so much much envy or jealousy in, in my life. And what fasting allows us to do is, is it, it's a way of God ripping open our soul so that we can see ourselves in the deeper parts of our life. Because if we don't take time regularly to examine ourselves, and a lot of us don't, I think, and I'm at the front of that line, because life is unrelenting. And there's so many distractions in the world around us. And there's so much noise constantly around us. Is that we we just go on and we just go on and we just go on. And we don't take the time we need to reflect, more importantly, not just self-examination, but allowing God, like the psalmist wrote, search me, God, and try me. And reveal if there's any wayward part in me that you want to do work in me. This is how life transformation happens. And there may be no greater practice than fasting to allow God to point out to us how we uh, are the areas of our life that He wants to touch. We might discover that there's fear, that there's uh, pride in us that He wants to deal with. You know, we just went through this. A tremendous rainy season over the winter. And uh, you probably watched with me the news reports of the Russian River just north of us as it swelled with all the rainwater and the buildings that were affected and properties that were affected. Well, we know that rivers, when they work well and the way we need them to, they, they have a proper channel. And they get destructive when they overflow their, their proper channel and their banks. And that that is just what... Uh, untamed desire, unexamined hungers in our life will lead to. It's, uh, fasting allows us a chance to tell the river of our life to, to flow in its proper channel. And we don't always have to feed the things that crave us deeply. Does that make sense? Alright, so it reveals us. Fasting allows an opportunity for inner revelation about who we are and the areas where God Wants to work. Not the areas that I need to clean up, but we're putting ourselves before the living God so that He can do in us what I cannot do for myself. That is what life transformation is about. That is Jesus being formed in you. That's how it works. It's one of the ways. And then it allows us, fasting does, to recenter our lives. 
on God. It allows us to think again about what is important. It allows us to think about who is important. And and really asking ourselves, are we truly sustained, as Jesus said, by every word that flows from the mouth of God? It's not my physical needs that always have to be given first priority in my life, but it's the spiritual development of my life. And so there we begin to see fasting not so much as abstaining from things, but it's actually feasting on the Word of God. It's putting myself in a position to actually feast and to listen and to be with God. The Bible's full of all kinds of fasts. We don't have time to look at those today. I just want to leave you with a couple of ideas for if you've never experienced fasting and you're curious about it, um, or maybe you haven't done it in a long time and you might reconsider doing it or implementing it afresh in your life. Here's a couple of tips. All right, you ready? Number one, a couple of questions that I know you're asking right now. What might I do during a fast? What do you do? And number two is how, how might I begin a fast? So good questions. Well done. Here, they, here you go. What might you do during a fast? This is it. Two words. What do you do during a fast? Pay attention. Pay attention. It's not trying to ignore your hunger because you missed a meal or two. It's beginning to ask God, why am I not more hungry for you to feed me spiritually in my life? Why am I not taking the time and making the time to read your word and to to feast on it as the bread of life? So pay attention. Pay attention to your own spirit. Pay attention to God's spirit in you. And pray. Pray. Read the Bible. Feast on the presence of God. That's it. That's it. If you're to ask me to boil down fasting, it's that. It's to pay attention and to give yourself an opportunity regularly to be before the Lord and to let Him examine you. When you go to the doctor for your annual physical, do you actually see the doctor? If you haven't seen the doctor, you haven't gotten the physical. Does the doctor examine you? Yeah. Looks in the ears and down the throat and puts something cold on your chest and makes you breathe and maybe you do some other things because you're allowing the doctor to examine you. That's what fasting allows God to do in your life. It allows God to examine your life so that you can grow in godliness. So how might you begin? I just want to suggest to you, maybe consider a 24-hour fast. Here's how a 24-hour fast works for some people. They get up, they'll eat breakfast, they'll skip lunch and skip dinner, go to sleep at night, wake up and have breakfast again. So that gives you usually roughly about a 24-hour period without food. Take some, take some water during the day, maybe some fruit juice, but just chill out from the food for a few hours. Um, if you've ever had dietary issues or physical problems or things, I would recommend you go just visit your doctor first. Say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm going to do. Is that a good idea or not? And if not, it's okay. You're free. You're free. It's not a command of Scripture. But it is an invitation if, if you're able to come into and uh, participate in. And I would give you this last suggestion. If you are going to fast and you have other people in your home that you normally take meals with, maybe a roommate or a housemate or a family, whatever it might be, is that you just let them know, here's what's not a good idea. Is that you say, hey, I think I want to either start fasting again or or do it for the very first time. And uh, I think Thursday's a great day. 
and you go to work all day, and uh, maybe your husband's normally the one who cooks, or you have a housemate who cooks, and you just show up after work, and they prepare dinner uh, because that's what you normally do, and you say, oh, I'm not eating today because I'm fasting. That's probably not a good idea. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he talked about, you know, praying your things, uh, you know, doing your spiritual righteousness in front of others to be praised by them. Let the people who need to know, let them know. Everybody else, they don't need to know. Because you're not worried about what other people are thinking, right? You don't worry about that, do you? No. No, that, that's not what develops our spiritual life. We, we play to an audience of one, and we do it together. And so that, that would be my simple encouragement to you. Because fasting is such a great gift from the Lord and something He invites you into. Uh, if you would like more resources, I, I can recommend some books and things. If you'd like to read some more and, and learn more about fasting, this consider this your crash course if you've never really thought about fasting. But we're going to enjoy together now the Lord's Supper. So let me invite the, the deacon to help you today to come here. I said there's probably no better uh, way or day or moment for us to think about fasting than on uh, the moment of remembering Jesus being the bread of life. That one of the elements we use in the Lord's Supper, of course, is bread. Uh, a picture of daily sustenance. It's a, a reminder of how God provided man in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give us today the bread we need for today. And so we learn to, to accept and to receive and to rejoice in the good gift of God. Jesus laid his life down. He, he sacrificed himself. I what the Lord's Supper is picturing, the sacrifice of Jesus. We've sung a song about it very clearly. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. So when you and I stand before the living God, he's not going to ask you about all the great things you did in your life. He's not going to ask you to tell him about how you shared your money and uh, the good way you were a husband. He's going to ask you about what did you do with Jesus when, when somebody presented Jesus to you and the truth of what he has done to take away your sin. So when we sing a song like that, the blood of Jesus speaks for me, that's what we're thinking. Is that it is Jesus who has died in my place and I have taken his substitution for myself so that I don't have to die because of my sin, because Jesus has died for me. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's why it's a celebration. That's why the early church rejoiced in it. They sang around it, and they thanked God because of it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and it was broken, and it was blessed, and it was shared with those around that table. And this morning, if, if you know that you have come into for yourself a personal relationship with Jesus, not because it's a heritage, you don't inherit Christian faith. It's something you enter into for yourself because God has called you to himself. And so if you know today that you have received the forgiveness and the work of Jesus on the cross and that his blood and his death covers your sin, that you are welcome to join us in this meal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these elements of bread today, a reminder that you are the bread of life. And we are not 
receive this, this uh, reminder of your sacrifice with gladness today. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the one for whom we have this meal. It's in that name we pray. Amen.